This is Liren Baker and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're on location in Santa Paula, California at Calavo headquarters. The Calavo family of growers has been providing us with avocados for nearly 100 years. Founded as the California Avocado Growers Exchange in 1924, Calavo's name became synonymous with avocados and has since expanded to provide us with Hawaiian papayas, tomatoes, guacamole, and more. Joining me is Brian Coker, the CEO of Calavo. Brian came to Calavo earlier this year with extensive expertise in the industry, which includes his previous roles as CFO, COO, and interim CEO at Chiquita Brands International. I am so excited to welcome Brian to the podcast. Hey, Brian. Hello, good morning, and thanks a lot for having me. I am so excited to join you here on location. It's such a treat for me, but I always start asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked, and about how old were you? Oh my gosh, I wish it was more exciting, but I was probably nine or 10 and cooked, a real cook. I mean, I've had hot dogs, but really cook was hamburger helper. Oh yeah, with the glove, right? That's exactly right, (laughs) with the glove, and that was my favorite. So, uh, in fact, that's still a comfort food now. Really? Don't tell anyone. It's well, no, no one will know. It's It's safe with me. It's secret. (laughs) Do you doctor it up, or you You know, sometimes? But I, I like to, like I said, it's comfort to me. So yeah, you know, I just take it out of the box, and it's the the old traditional recipe, and boom, there you go. Yum! I love it. Okay, so since we're in the land of avocados, I have to ask: Did you grow up eating avocados? You know, we didn't. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and I, in all seriousness, it probably was seven to 10 years ago before avocados really found their way into my family fridge. Mm. But they're such a great product mm-hmm. and fruit that you can, and you can, they're so versatile um, that I bet any time I go in the fridge now that there's at least two. And yeah. think about that from a migration of none to two every day. I mean, that's, that's really, uh, I think, an example of what's happened across the U.S. as more and more people have become accustomed to the fruit. For sure. I mean, I know for myself, growing up, I grew up in New York on the mm-hmm. East Coast, and same thing. Avocados were a very, very special treat. Um, I You couldn't find them in the stores as easily, so mm-hmm. sure. moving to California, it was quite a treat, and now I I have one every day. So, oh, they've really become staple items. Yeah. They, they have for, for a large part of the U.S. population, and, and more so even for the global population. You start to see growth for that, too. Mm-hmm. And I bet they'd be good with Hamburger Helper. They're good with about anything, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So could you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself? You said you grew up in the Midwest. And what brought you to this world of produce and Calavo as well? Sure. So I, I grew up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I was um, kind of a, a traditional background, two working parents, um, went to college in the Midwest, started mm-hmm. off an accounting career, ultimately came to Chiquita almost 20 years ago. Wow. And uh, I, I started at Chiquita, and, and it was one of those things where they say, well, hey, our product's perishable, and that causes some stress. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's perishable. I get it. I get it. You don't have to explain that to me. Well, I didn't get it. Hmm. Right? Perishability causes a lot of stress on yeah. the business. And the, to have a cold chain that can get product 
like ours, like avocados mm-hmm. that are picked one day and probably on a store shelf six, seven days later, you've got to be really good at things and, and you've got to be really organized. And that was also part of the excitement for me. Um, I fell in love with the produce industry, the speed that it has to operate, the challenges that, that it brings, both intellectual and, and working challenges. But I think more than anything, I really love the, the international aspect. And I, and I have that here at Calavo as well. We have that as a Calavo family. We're a very diverse family. We have employees in Mexico. We have employees in the U.S. I bet greater than 60% of our employees around the world, their native tongue is something other than English. Than English. And yeah. um, I really love that aspect of, of our Calavo family. Mm. Um, we've got... 3,700 family members, and uh, they're they're really unique and diverse and special, and and it's really exciting to be a part of that. Yeah, and when you call it a family, it's a family of growers. Um, so it was founded in 1924, so right? Almost 100 years ago. Can you tell everyone about the original founders who created the California Avocado Growers Exchange? Well, it, it was really uh, several growers that were in the area. Most of them were hobbyists, really. Oh. They, they were small grow. Maybe they had a, some, some groves in their backyard. Uh-huh. And they came together in 1924 and formed the Calif- uh, California Avocado Grower Exchange. They had a small little packing house in uh, Vernon, California. Hmm. And I think that first year, maybe 25 or 26, that first first year they produced 180,000 pounds. Wow. Considering 180,000 pounds, considering now the U.S. consumes well over 3 billion pounds. That's, that's, uh, it's, that's it's crazy. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Those numbers, I can't amazing? even. <laughs> um, but I think the, the real change came in 1926 or 27 when Rudolf Haas, who was a postal worker, a postman. I did not realize had that. Had a, uh, found a, a strange variety growing in his little backyard and named it the Haas variety. And now the Haas variety is substantially everything that right. we get in around the world. So huh. it started off from there. And kind of think about that. Think how strange that is to say, here's one little tree mm-hmm. 100 years ago. And now, for the most part, it's the variety around the world. Do we know where that tree is? Is it protected? I don't know. <laughs> You would think it would have like a, a vault around it, like yeah. the crown jewels. I can yeah. hope you could probably sell tickets to go yeah. see the tree. Yeah. So Santa Barbara, which is close by, you know, that's definitely one of the mm-hmm. first growing areas. Right. And then here is Santa Paula. What makes this area so ideal for growing avocados? Well, I, I, avocados need uh, an arid, almost Mediterranean climate mm-hmm. to really uh, do well. So kind of going from Santa Barbara down to San Diego, uh, you, you get that arid climate, you get a soil that, that is the right mixture, you get the, the temperate climate for, for most of the year. Avocados do not do really well if it gets really cold or really hot. So a temperate climate throughout the year is, is very helpful. They sound and like me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right? That's something that I can absolutely relate to. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that environment is, is really, really helpful to to avocado product. And that's why they're so successful in Mexico too. Very similar circumstances mm-hmm. in Mexico. Yeah. No, the avocados are smart. <laughs> they are. So you mentioned the Haas variety. Is that definitely the primary variety that Calavo oh, grows? I, I, I bet 
you'd go out of your way and search for a long time to find something other than a hospital. So is it 100%? It's not 100%. There, there's uh, gem variety and there's lamb hoss. So there are some that, that find their way in market, mm -hmm. but it's got to be more than 95%. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and they have a unique advantage. They, they yeah. have the right size and they have the right produ productivity. Mm -hmm. um, the combination of those two to make, uh, to make growing efficient. Right. And meet the market needs. And I'm guessing it's kind of resistant to disease, things like that. It, it, as best as it can be. You yeah. know, we don't have to, in California in particular, we don't have to do a lot of, of spraying and other things. Uh, part of that is that arid climate helps as mm -hmm. well. That's true. Uh, Mexico doesn't have to do a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we do some, but not a lot. Uh, and I think, the again, the, the greatest thing is... Uh, uh, the avocado has one of nature's most protective devices, which is the skin. True. So that really, really helps as if you think about organics and, and the impact of, of some of the agricultural practices that need to be done to, to make a, an avocado mm. plentiful enough to feed the world. Um, you know, nature's got a very good protective skin for it. Yeah, well, I guess that's a good thing. Um, someone was telling me, recently that avocado trees are very hard to grow. Is that true? That's just, that was just hearsay, but I guess they tried. <laughs> well, I, again, I think a lot of it depends on where you're trying. If you told yeah, me true. in Chicago, yeah, oh, I'd, yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> I'd say they're very hard to grow. Well, here in California. Here in California, I, I think the, the climate is right. Mm -hmm. Now, you still need to make sure you have irrigation and access to water and, mm -hmm. and our growers do a great job of sustainable farming practices. They really yeah. do. So, you know, we're, we're using grip drip irrigation as opposed to just spray or like watering your lawn. Um, we'll, we'll do fertilization where they, they send fertilizers out through the drip irrigation mm -hmm. so that it's very precise. precise and we're not wasting. Um, the avocado tree creates its own mulch. Huh. So as leaves yeah. drop, it creates a kind of a covering and a, and a mulch that retains some moisture and provides very specific uh, nutrients back into the soil. So we're trying to do a lot of things with respect to labor. And then even further than that, we'll, we'll do things uh, trying to conserve energy and, and water as, as we pack. So yeah. uh, a lot of good things in this. That, that's one of the great things about working in this industry, too. We sell a great product that's great for our consumers mm -hmm. and we can feel really proud about being in the industry. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously water is such a huge issue here in California. So in terms of thirstiness, what would you say the avocado tree is? Does it require a lot of water or is it pretty drought friendly? It, it requires water. Um, now, most of the growers in here have solved that long ago by having their own wells and, mm. and access to, to their own wells and water reservoirs. Now, Remember, probably in the United States, I'm guessing 75% of all avocados sold are from Mexico. Right. Right? So year-round, uh, there, there might be a little bit higher percentage of, of California, but, but uh, at certain parts of the year, I mean. But year-round, 75% of the avocados are coming from Mexico, and they have a very efficient rain. Um. So very few of their farms even have irrigation. They can use natural rain. How rainfall. lucky. So uh, <laughs> if you look at the avocado industry in total, it's very sustainable. Mm. Um, and then, as I said, uh, here in California, growers are trying to be very efficient with respect to their water. Yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of um, 
there are a lot of restrictions that California places, and rightfully so. So right. that's, that makes it easier too, or not easier, but it just kind of works together. Right. In terms of organics, are uh, is there a percentage of Calavo groves that are organically grown? Organics is growing. If you look at our California crop, probably eight and a half percent of of our California crop, or eight to nine, let's mm-hmm. say, are are organic. So it's growing. You know, we we try to make sure we have ample supply to service that uh, market segment. Mm-hmm. But again, by far the large preponderance of of avocados sold are. Um, conventional. Mm-hmm. If you look at our other product lines, that holds true too. If if you look at our processed fruit and our processed uh, veg and and some of our guacamole, it, still it would hold true that the large preponderance are are conventional. But uh, organics is growing. Yeah. Are you are you seeing that there's more of a demand for organics? Well, certainly it's it's growing faster than the overall category. So mm-hmm. if you look at some category data, you would say yes, it's it's growing faster than the than the overall demand, but not significantly different is, is probably what I'd say. Yeah, I'm curious if any of the, <clears throat> the farmers have expressed interest in converting to organic. Well, I think you see that at different phases. Mm. Um, you know, most of that is, is financially driven. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if the pricing environment looks right for a long period of time, they'll convert. Uh, we have field personnel that, that will help advise them if, mm. if they're looking to convert. I don't know that we we don't actively go push convert <laughs> go growers to convert mm-hmm. or or to stay conventional or go organic. But we, one of the values we provide to our grower family members, and I, I love the way you said we have grower family uh, members earlier. So we've got several family members. We've got customer family members. Mm-hmm. We have employee family members, and we have grower family members. One of the great values we believe we provide for our grower family members is we sell the fruit that they produce. Mm-hmm. Um, we sell the sizes, no matter what size we find a home for it. We find a home for the quality that they produce. Very good growers, but but even in very good growers, you you have some second quality fruit. But we mm-hmm. find a home for that. Yeah, we find a home for the the fruit that should be processed and turned into guacamole. So that's one of the values that we think we provide to our grower community. I'm so curious, what is the average size of you know a typical family of family grower, like a typical farm? Um, or one of your partners. Like. Oh my goodness, they range all over. Oh, um, so so we have big farmers, mm-hmm. with, which could be 10,000 hectares. That's 22,000 acres. Wow. We have some that are 100 acres. So um, there's a wide variety. I, I think the, the best thing for, for us to do for our grower family members is we take their fruit. So yeah. it, 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 you know, we'll offer, every day we offer a price. That, that we'll buy fruit for. And uh, we place an order, and if it's 10 bins of, of picked avocados and they bring in 16, we'll still take the 16. Uh, that's so, nice. Um, we try to make sure that we provide that service for them too. So you mentioned other commodities. Mm-hmm. Hawaiian papaya was one of the earlier ones. How right. did that come about? Uh, we've been in papayas, I think, for 50 years now wow. uh, in, in Hawaiian. It's actually a really small part of our portfolio, mm. but we've been in it. It was a legacy environment. Uh, remember, Calavo started off as a grower exchange and then ultimately a grower co-op before mm-hmm. it became a publicly traded company. And one of the growers had the, the papaya um, operation and then oh. ultimately, so we were distributing that, that, those papayas and then ultimately bought the, the operation. 
Are the papayas grown in Hawaii? Grown in Hawaii. Wow. Yeah. Grown and packed in Hawaii, shipped here, and then we'll sell them to, to customers, mostly on the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then what other commodities do you guys offer? Uh, we offer tomatoes year-round. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll migrate our growing areas to, to provide year-round supply of tomatoes. And then, interestingly enough, in, in Calavo, so many people think about avocados immediately when, mm -hmm. when they think of, of Calavo. But interestingly enough, about 40% of our revenue are in ready-to-eat prepared produce oh. items. Cut berries, cut watermelon. Um, if you go to a store and you see that, that, that cut product that's yep. already in a, in a clamshell yep. or a wrap, we'll do a blend of vegetables that, that we'll do for people. We'll make deli sandwiches. We'll make pinwheel Oh, you guys do that too? Party trays. We, we have about 40% oh of our revenue that, that we call prepared foods. Um, okay. So in addition to guacamole, we do those types of prepared foods. And you can find those all over in, in uh, retail stores across the huh. U.S. We've I got actually five processing facilities in the United States to service retailers throughout the, yes, uh, the U.S. with prepared products. Wow, that's huge. I, I didn't realize it included all the other foods. I thought it was just strictly produce. Well, it, you know, it, it's mostly produce, but there is some deli items. Yeah, huh. we, we make some deli sandwiches. We make some pasta salad. We make some egg salad. We do a little salsa. Um, so it, it's, it's a little bit broader than just produce, but the, the core of it is process that's convenient, ready to eat, ready to grab and go, and on the shelves in, in retail distribution channels. So what other channels are there? That you, I mean, you've got... We operate in food service as well. Mm -hmm. Several of our customers are in the food service channel. And then we operate in convenience. Uh, over the last mm -hmm. probably seven to eight years, we've seen the convenience channel really bring produce, grab-and-go, and ready-to-eat destinations into their stores. And so we try to play there and, and help service their needs. Some of them have fresh cut fruit needs. Some of them have deli sandwich needs um, where they don't have the labor mm -hmm. to make sandwiches in the store or cut fruit in the store. And we can do that for them and get it to them very efficiently. Huh. Okay. So later today, I'm going to be able to finally <laughs> go to an avocado Great. grove. And maybe you could just describe what the harvest is like you know and and how it's picked and then oh it's processed. all picked by hand that's the that's really an interesting piece of this so we we hire picking and harvesting crews it's picked by hand they're cutting uh the low-hanging fruit off off of the tree mm -hmm. the higher fruit they have a a little gadget it's it's almost like a pool skimmer almost like those um apple pickers yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a pool skimmer that has a blade on it uh -huh. they they cut the, the little avocado off and it falls into a basket that, huh. that then they can uh, then put in the bins. After they harvest, they take to the bins to our packing house. Mm -hmm. And our packing house will sort that product by size because avocados are sold by size. Mm -hmm. And then we'll also sort it by quality. So if uh, you know a large portion of our product is the highest quality you can get but you're dealing with an agricultural product and so sometimes yeah. there's a little blemish or a scar or something like that the mm -hmm. pulp of the of the fruit is always good mm -hmm. um, but there might be a little sun scar or maybe some bruising that that we'll take care of uh, but we sort that and then our job is to make sure we have homes for all that fruit mm -hmm. so we've got homes for big fruit we've got homes for smaller fruit we've got homes for 
the the second quality fruit. We have homes for fruit that food service providers need, and then ultimately uh, we can produce uh, guacamole and other other prepared avocado products uh, from some of the remnants that that again have good pulp, but just aren't physically appealing enough to to be on the shelf. It's a shame because the ugly fruit are just as delicious. They are fantastically tasting yeah. fruit. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's like I said. The pulp of the the meat of the fruit Mm -hmm. is 100% right. So at what point in the ripening process are you picking? Are they just a little under? How how does that typically work? Well, it's interesting. Um, The the fruit is picked hard, so it's not ripe, Mm -hmm. but it's to a maturity level. And the maturity level is usually measured by oil content. Um, So the the avocado, as you probably know, has wonderful oils. Mm -hmm. Um, And... As it matures, it reaches a certain oil content um, and, and, you know, a combination of dry matter and oil content. Now, it can stay on the tree for a while. So unlike a, a banana or a tomato or a strawberry where it becomes mm-hmm. ready to pick, then you've got to pick. Yeah. Right. The avocado can stay for a while so we can manage flow a little bit. Oh, that's nice. But it's nice and hard and firm. Mm-hmm. After we pick it, uh, our, our harvest teams pick it, we sort it into the right sizes, we send it to a distribution center where we'll also ripen it. Because most of the consumers want a product that if they buy it today, they want to eat it tonight. Mm. So we'll ripen it for them and we'll, it'll get a, a little, there should be some firmness, but shouldn't be hard. And that'll help uh, people guide as, as the one it's great to, to pick and eat. So if they're at the grocery store, what what should they look for? If they're at the grocery store, you kind of take it in the palm of your hand and just put a little pressure on it. And if there's a little softness in there, it's it's probably great. If you get it home and it's not quite ripe yet, mm-hmm. there's some other tricks. You can wrap it in a paper bag. You can put a little banana peel with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the banana releases ethylene, which helps the, the avocado ripen. So there's some tricks, but it should have a little give in it. It should it should it should be firm, but not hard. Okay, so now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> what is one of the most interesting ways that you've heard someone, or maybe you've tried an avocado? Oh, I, we have had everything, and particularly in the last seven months, I've tried everything. Yeah, I avocado, bet. <laughs> right, I've tried fried. I've tried chocolate covered. We've had avocado ice cream. We've had avocado shakes. For me personally, and so you know, you get avocado toast sliced on 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 salads. You can get it all kind of different ways. Yeah, I love simple foods. I love cutting an avocado open, taking the stone out, doing a little crisscross cut mm-hmm. in the in the half of an avocado, putting a little salt and pepper on it, and then eating it right out of the the skin. And that to me is wonderful. It's creamy. It's tasty, little salt to go with the the creaminess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful. That's so good. Okay, I have to ask because avocado toast, everyone's eating it. I had one before I hopped on the plane yesterday. <laughs> what what would be your go to toppings? Oh, my go to is an egg sandwich. So uh, egg, yeah. cheese, bacon, guacamole, or avocado smeared all over the side of the bread. I just think that that's perfect for me. That's perfect for us, too. That's what my daughter eats almost every day. <laughs> um, what's next for Calavo? Is there anything exciting going on? Well, I, I think the, the good news for us is we continue to have access to growth. So up until the end of July, 
avocados were only eligible to be exported out of Mexico from one particular state in Mexico. In August, a second state was authorized. Now, we've been preparing for that for several years. So now we have access to more avocados coming from Mexico. So we can grow. We can grow in the U.S. We can grow internationally. I think you'll see us uh, with new product development on our prepared foods as well. So more and more convenience stores want access to healthy sandwiches and or prepared grab-and-go items. So, so you'll see us doing some R&D and new product development there as well. I think uh, one of the best things that result from growth is the opportunities it presents for our Calavo family members. When you're in a business that's growing, no matter where you are in the organization, if you want, you don't have to, but if you want, you now have opportunity for promotion. You now have opportunity to try something different. You now have opportunity to, to better yourself or, or your family's prospects. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm really excited about. As we grow, we can offer so many more things to our employees. Oh, that's so exciting. So you almost are going to be at your centennial. And is there going to be a celebration? Oh, we're going to have a, I hope we have a lot of celebrations. <laughs> we're definitely going to do some things that build up to our 100 year celebration. And so you'll start to see those in 2023 in yeah. preparation of 2024. But we definitely want to have a, a celebration and it should be a thank you. Um, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, we've been around for 100 years because we've had great growers, great uh, supplier partners, and we want to thank them. We've had very supportive customers. And we want to thank them. And then mostly, I want to make sure we thank employees. As I mentioned, we have 3,700 Calavo family members. This doesn't happen unless 3,700 are moving in the same direction. And so I'm really thankful for the work that they do, the passion that they bring. I I love it if you can see some of our other facilities. You'll see how proud people are to to work at Calavo and wear their Calavo shirt or their Calavo (laughs) hat. And it's energizing to me when I go out there. I, I go to visit our sites. I think I'm more excited than they are. And, <laughs> and it's uh, it's really fun to be part of a family member, uh, family like that. Well, I, I definitely feel the energy. I've only been here for, you know, maybe an hour now, but everyone's so nice and so happy. So, But I that's part of that. our culture, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, it, in my belief, it's easier to do business with people that are pleasant. Right. It's easier to do business with people that smile. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do business with, with people that say please and thank you. Yeah. And those don't cost anything. Now, it doesn't mean you're a pushover either, right? You, you can be a strong mm-hmm. businesswoman, a strong businessman. You can, you can be strong while being pleasant. And that's what we like. We like transparency. We want to look people in the eye. I want to make sure that when employees hear messages, they hear it directly from me or, or directly from one of the other leaders. We never want them reading things in the paper about it. So we, we try hard to communicate mm-hmm. and we try hard to educate. Many of our employees who work in Santa Paula don't know what's happening in our facility in Atlanta. So we try to educate. We show them videos. We try to educate them on that. Or Atlanta doesn't know what goes on in Los Angeles mm-hmm. or or. Los Angeles doesn't know what happens in Mexico. So we want to spend a lot of time sharing our story with our employees because they need to know that they're not alone. They've got 3,699 other family members <laughs> that are that are trying to help them as well. Yeah, and and each person is an ambassador, so that's pretty 100% cool. right. Okay, so before I let you go, I know you're busy. Um, closing questions, very silly and fun. Okay. So what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you just need an emergency go-to meal? Nachos. 
Nachos, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's very simple. Chips, cheese, maybe a little chicken or chorizo or something. Um, yeah. Probably some leftover protein in, right in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you go avocados. throw some avocados or guacamole <laughs> on there. That's, that's my go-to. Yeah, that's a good one. What's Plus, the- I can do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? Well, you know, I think you go back to some of your comfort Mm -hmm. foods and, uh, you know, my, my mom made a chicken and rice deal that had a little soy sauce in it and that I just absolutely loved. And, and I mean, I would have that today if, if she was here and able to make it, uh, I would have it today. (laughs) So that, that's a great recipe for, for us, a family recipe. And it just kind of warms your heart to eat it. Yeah, I love recipes like that. Um, are you a messy cook or a neat cook when you make your nachos? I I am more neat. You know, I, I don't mind cleaning. You know, I'm not a good cook. So just to be transparent, I'm not the cook in, in our house. But I don't mind cleaning. I don't mind doing laundry. And I don't mind folding laundry. So those are my, those are my skills. That's very fair. <laughs> um, what's a good kitchen tip that you can share? A good kitchen tip. I think the probably the best that, that I've had is I'd want to make sure that I don't overcook everything, mm, right? Yeah. Vegetables should be a little crump, crunchy. I like the proteins. That, well, chicken I don't, but if you're, you know, <laughs> if you're doing salmon, if you're doing beef, you know, have a medium rare. Don't overcook it. There's so much flavor in, in food, and we don't want to cook all the flavor out of it. Exactly. I agree. Okay, every Friday I try to share five little things, something that made me smile that week. Is there something that made you smile this week? Uh, this is going to sound so corny. No, so this I is apologize the <laughs> in advance, right? I- I'm telling you, every day I come into this place, I end up smiling about something. Um, finding the, seeing the ladies at the, at the front desk, I smile. Having a chance to, to talk to some of our employees, uh, if either visiting a location or being remote going to visit our customers. Every one of those gives me a chance to smile. And, and my two favorite things, three really, in the whole world are to spend time with customers, employees, and growers. Those are my three favorite things. Everybody has stuff in their job that mm-hmm. you know they do because they have to do, but maybe they, they don't love. Right. Those three things I love. Those three things I get energy from, I get, I get excited about, I get personal pleasure from. Mm-hmm. And so literally smiling is, is very easy for me. Aww. Thursday also helps because Thursday here in Santa Paula is burrito day. What? What? Wait. Yeah. What do you mean? The whole town? No, no, no. Just for our office. Oh, so okay. We all chip in, get some burritos. And uh, so that, that Thursday has an extra special smile. Oh, my gosh. Well, you just missed it. Darn it. Well, you know what? That's a great way to close out the week. It's a hundred percent a little past that hump day. So very cool. You guys are doing such fun work. I can't wait to get out in the fields. Thank you again for having me and for spending time with me today. No, thanks for coming and visiting. And you're going to love the fields. I think, and we'd love to get you in some other locations so you can really see how, uh, how everything comes to life. Yeah. I'm excited. Thank you again. Thank you. Wow, what an experience. After my conversation with Brian, the Calavo team took me on a personal tour of the facilities and orchards where I learned firsthand how they grow, harvest, package, and distribute avocados all over the world. It's a lot of hard work, and I will be sharing more about the process on the blog and on social media. 
Thank you again to Calavo Growers for welcoming me and for sharing all things avocados today. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.